If there's one thing that 2020 highlighted, it was the ever-deepening distrust of once trusted sources. For example, when Gallup pollsters first asked about public trust in, for example, mass media, throughout the 1970s, the positive response stayed between 68 and 72 percent. As of last September, that number sat at 40 percent. And that's actually up from the all-time low in 2016, which was 32 percent. Everywhere we turn, we are being told by some that we simply cannot trust the sources we once turned to for important information about our finances, about our health, about our legal system, our elections, our mental health, or our political leaders, or pretty much any current event you can think of. Strangely, it seems some would have you believe that the only people you can trust are the ones telling us over and over again that we can't trust anyone. Ironic. So where do you turn, is my question for you this morning. Where do you turn for the information that you need to make important decisions? Who or what is your most trusted source? So let's bring that question with us as we return to our ongoing study of the Gospel of John. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 3. We're looking at verses 31 through 36. Verses 31 through 36. We're going to finish out the chapter together. So you may recall that in the third message in this series, and you can go back online and take a look at, at what we've done so far. This is number nine, this message. But in number three, the third study, we focused on the ministry and on the faith of John the Baptist. Remember that? This, the, the, the message was called Baptist-like faith. So we talked about John the baptizer in that message. And as we considered what chapter one revealed to us about John, we also jumped over and looked at chapter three, specifically verses 22 through 30. So right before our main text this morning, you'll see 22 through 30 talk about John the Baptist. So we read and let me go back to those verses and, and lay the groundwork for our passage this morning. Remember, 31 through 36 is what we want to focus in on this morning. That's where we're going to pitch our tent. But we want to understand what we're coming into by looking at what came before Verses 31 through 36. So when John the baptizer's followers anxiously informed him about the popularity of Jesus and how all were going to him and his ministry of baptism, we're told in chapter four that Jesus actually wasn't baptizing anyone, but his disciples were. Right In his name, they were, just, they were baptizing people who were coming to them. Well, the disciples of John the Baptist weren't happy about that, were they? They thought, wait a minute, we've got the baptism game. This is our thing. We've been popular for so long. Why is everybody going to Jesus? So this is how, if you look at verses 27 through 30, 
This is how John the Baptist responds to his followers. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, the Messiah, right? I'm not the Messiah, but I have been sent before the Christ. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, right? That's the groom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. It's like the best man, the best man. He cares about his, his, his friend, his buddy, who's the groom. The day is about him, not the best man. Therefore, says John, this joy of mine is now complete. I'm glad people are going to Jesus. I'm glad they're all flocking to him. That's exactly what's supposed to happen, you blockheads. That's what doesn't say that in the Bible, but you know, you can imagine John saying something like that. I love verse 30. Look at verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. So just as we saw in chapter 1, verses 19 through 34, John was always pointing others to the one who was to come after him. He wasn't the main show. He was the warm-up, right? He was the band that comes on to get everybody worked up. He's the guy that comes out at a t television show you know, before the sitcom and gets everybody worked up in the crowd so they'll be laughing when all the actors come out. That's, that's what he was doing, preparing the way. Now, as we move into the remaining verses of this chapter, verse 31 and on, let me suggest that we discover the same thing that we saw earlier in verses 16 through 21 of this chapter. What do I mean? Well, the similar language that we find here in verses 31 through 36 indicates that once again, the apostle John is breaking in. Yes, he's writing the account of what Jesus said and did, but at times John will break in and he will give a little bit of information for his readers, like a parenthesis, right? He wants to tell you something important and, and that's what he's doing here. He's breaking in to offer his readers some more theological commentary on what they just heard. Now, we might ask, is there a big idea? Is there a main idea that has prompted John to interrupt at this point. Well, I think that there is. If you scan over verses 31 through 34, you'll notice a number of words and phrases related to the idea of bearing witness or to one's testimony. Do you see that? Who's looking at the Bible? Come on, you guys, get your Bibles out. Some of you people who are not using a Bible, come on, get the Bible out in front of you. I'll make sure that we have copies of it uh, for next week that you can actually touch and hold and all that good jazz. Bring your Bible with you. Let's look at it together. But if you look over 31 through 34, look at those related words and phrases. Verse 31, the word speaks. Verse 32, the, the phrase bears witness. 
Verses 32 and 33 each include the word testimony. Look at verse 34. There's the, the phrase, utters the words. You see that? Speaks, bears witness, testimony, utters the words. That is a that is a main theme of what John is trying to offer here when he breaks into the story of Jesus and says, hey, you need to understand this. So let me suggest that John is making three points here about the words of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus. So, for example, number one, the words of Jesus are above all other words. Number one, the words of Jesus are above all other words. This is what John tells us here in verses 31 and 32. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He, that one who comes from heaven, bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Now, let's stop there. Clearly, these comments are connected to what John the Baptist just said. What he just emphasized to his disciples in verses 27 through 30. Right? He must increase. I must decrease. I am not the Christ. He is coming after me. I simply prepare the way. He will come. And he will re reveal the full truth to you. Now, if we combine that with John's testimony about Jesus in chapter 1, verse 30, where he said this. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. You see, John knows that Jesus is God in human flesh. The son of God among them, walking among men. He understands that. Even though John was first on the scene and Jesus was coming after him, Jesus has always been before John, before all of us. Therefore, he is first. He has first place. So for anyone who might continue to over-exalt John the Baptist, and we know this is, here's a little side note. We know that this is not surprising necessarily because if you read the book of Acts that tells about the first years of the church right after Jesus returned to the father after his resurrection we know from Acts chapter 19 that right at the beginning when the apostle Paul was going into Ephesus where this gospel of John by tradition was written we know that the first people that Paul meets are people who seem to be followers of John the Baptist. <laughs> Way up in what today is modern Turkey, right? Like the west coast of Turkey. There's people up there during the ministry of Paul who know nothing of Jesus and the baptism of uh, the Christian baptism. They know only of the baptism of John the Baptist. So it's not unusual that there may be people who still thought of John the Baptist in a way that was inflated. Like they didn't understand this same point that John was only preparing the way for Jesus. So actually Paul preaches the gospel to them and he baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in that passage. 
So for anyone among John's readers who might continue to overexalt the role of John the Baptist, the apostle doesn't want them to miss this truth that John himself declared over and over. Jesus is, verse 31, above all. He is above all. But please don't miss how the language in verse 31, it also points us back to verses 11 and 12 of this same chapter. Scroll back, flip back, take a look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 3. Look what Jesus taught there. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Wow, that sounds a lot like what we just heard, right? You don't receive our testimony. We bear witness to what we've seen and heard. Earthly things, heavenly things. See that? Very similar conversation happening there earlier in chapter 3. Well, wait a minute. Who was Jesus talking to earlier in chapter 3? No, Nicodemus. He was talking to Nicodemus, who was, look at verse 10. Jesus calls Nicodemus a teacher of Israel. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. I think it mentions that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, one of the ranking religious leaders at that time. So here's Nicodemus, and Jesus is having a very similar conversation with Nicodemus at this point. So this, so John is wrapping up this section, not simply in light of what John the Baptist said. He's also wrapping up this whole chapter by talking about what Jesus talked about with Nicodemus. They are both, what do these two men have in common? Nicodemus and John the Baptist. They are both earthly sources. They are both earthly sources. That doesn't necessarily make them bad or untrustworthy. Let me clarify that. When we read earthly there in verse 31, we shouldn't read worldly as if sinful, fleshly. Some places earthly might mean that. All I think John is telling us is that these men have a limited perspective. They can only speak to what's happening in the, in the world, right, around them. They can only think in certain, in certain categories and in a certain framework that is earthly. They cannot provide what Jesus Christ can provide. In contrast to that limited earthly perspective, the testimony of Jesus, as we see in verses 31 and 32, the words of Jesus are above all other words. Why is that? Because verse 32, he alone bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Only the word who was with God in the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. Only the son who was in the father's bosom, close to his heart, can bear witness to God. He can make him known, verse 18 of chapter 1. Jesus, the son, the eternal son, who before the world was even created, the earth was even created, the, the universe was even created, the son, as God himself, shared fellowship with God throughout eternity past. He beheld and understood, he understood, and he acted along with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the glory of eternity past. The secrets of heaven, 
the divine glory, all known to Jesus perfectly. Only he can bear witness to these things. Brothers and sisters, friends, when it comes to information you need to make important decisions, especially the most important decisions in your life, Jesus Christ must be your most trusted source. He must be your most trusted source. But is he? Is he? Are his words above all other words in your life? Now I'm asking you to be brutally honest with yourself today. I'm asking you to look at your life as maybe it were on trial and people brought evidence based on eyewitness accounts and evidence from your home, including whatever, right? What you have by your nightstand, what you, what you spend your time doing, your checkbook, all of these things. They would bring all these documents. They would bring the people that they would know, that know you and they would sit down in court and say, here, Based on all of this is what this individual holds to be the most trusted source. This is where they're listening. This is what they listen to. This is what's most important. This is what's the shaping influence in their life. This is their guiding lights. And so God's question to you this morning as John was trying to correct his readers in the same way is, is Jesus Christ your most trusted source? Are his words above all other words in your life? Is his testimony the controlling influence, the guiding light in all your choices, in your outlook each and every day? Sadly, for many of us, maybe most of us, there are many other sources. There are many other voices that seem to be placed by us above all. We listen to them, we act on them as if they were above all. Think about just some of these. Here's just a, a smattering from our world today and our lives today. Others' opinions can often take first place when it comes to how we think about ourselves and the world around us. We listen to others and then conform to what we believe is appealing to them or at the very least acceptable to them. We are hungry for approval. We long to belong. Maybe it looks like classic peer pressure. Maybe it's apparent or a boss or a mentor that we aim to please. Whatever form it takes, we are often guilty of placing the opinions of others above the words of Jesus. Do you do that consciously? No. Would you admit to it like if I asked you on a pop quiz? No. You guys would all have the right answer. Oh, the words of Jesus are above all. I'm simply talking about in those moments of decision, 
when those influences are at work deep within you? Are you, can you discern what's really shaping you, guiding you, driving you? What you're listening to, in fact, even though you want to listen to and believe you're listening to God. What do we actually hear? How about the 24-hour news cycle? The 24-hour news cycle can also dominate our thinking when it comes to information. We often choose sides, as we're told to do, and immerse ourselves in the partisan echo chambers and constant commentary of those who, interestingly, their livelihoods actually depend on them being engaged in the culture wars, and thus they seem uninterested in the hard work of actually bringing people together. We tell ourselves, I'm just staying informed. But the hours of intake of news coverage and the screeds of talking heads can leave us with categories and priorities and animosities that are simply earthly. They don't come from God's word. They're not based on the words of Jesus. Along these same lines, another source that is often exalted above all is entertainment. To illustrate this point, you may recall that in 2017, the CEO of Netflix said this, there are only a certain amount of hours which humans can tend to activities and Netflix's goal is to occupy those moments and deliver the utmost joy to the consumer during that opportunity. You get a show or a movie you're really dying to watch, and you end up staying up late at night. So actually, we compete with sleep, he said of his number one competitor, and we are winning. Friends, that's not just Netflix. That's every media service, streaming service. That's their mentality. That's their goal. But we often forget how hours and hours of entertainment intake can actually shape our hearts and our minds many times in ways we aren't even aware of. Getting us to care about things that we really don't need to care about. Maximizing things that we really are you know, majoring on things that are minors in reality, according to God's word. Inculcating sympathy in us, growing, nurturing sympathy in us for things we should, for which we should have no sympathy. Tolerating things that we should not tolerate, and yet we tolerate them with our eyes on the screen in front of us. You see, a source of information that we place often above all. What we might call biography has also become a most trusted source for, for many, many people. Uh, the personal testimonies of those who have struck it rich. Those who have risen to celebrity status for one reason or another. Those who have survived and overcome some great adversity or injustice. Those testimonies are often accepted as more persuasive even than objective reality. For example, can we really say that biography 
has not been exalted above all when a human being with a Y chromosome and a penis can tell us that he is actually a woman and we not only believe him, but we celebrate this supposed knowledge. You see, we're not trusting our eyes and ears and senses anymore. We're trusting what somebody says they feel and making that the ultimate reality. Finally, there's what we might call trauma. Many of the hard things that we endure are not things we ever chose. Not the result of decisions that we made. They were decisions made against us. But we do choose how to respond to the wounds that are left. The wounds that those things leave us. How many times have those hurtful voices from the past drowned out all the other voices in your life? Or the pain itself lies to us saying things like, you'll never be free of this. What happened will always define who you are. You'll never be good enough. You see, when the voice or voices of trauma rise above the words of Jesus, what do we do? Do we recognize when that happens? Brothers and sisters, Friends, these are just some examples of the sources that are competing in our lives. The sources of truth, supposedly. Information of light to us, supposedly. And these are sources that might inform us on a daily basis. But of course, there are other ones, right? Tradition. This is how we've always done it in my family. This is what my mom and dad taught me. This is the way that I know to do it. And yet it may be terribly unhealthy and destructive. Uh, worldlyisms, yeah, worldlyisms. Uh, it's better, I feel better if I drink away these feelings that I have, right? It works for me to drink or to smoke or to do whatever to get away from the feelings that I'm feeling. Well, is that... Is that advice from God? Is that his strategy? Is that the words of Jesus about how we handle the difficult things we're facing? No, of course not. Those are worldlyisms. Those are strategies designed by the world. And yet we can listen to that voice of that strategy and say, uh, this will bring me the relief that I need. This will help me. This will do what I need it to do. But we're not allowing the words of Jesus to be above all other words. Many of these things that we've talked about this morning in terms of sources are unavoidable and many can be absolutely helpful if kept in perspective. I'm not here to rail against entertainment or the news or, uh, or biography. There are some people's stories you and I need to hear. We absolutely need to hear them. We need to hear from one another. That is so important. But again, if we exalt these things over the words of Jesus, as we are prone to do at times, we are in a dangerous place. 
We can only keep things in perspective when we keep Jesus Christ as our most trusted source. When we look to him as our most trusted source. When his words are above all other words in your life. Look at verses 31 and 32 again. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth. He speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Now, let's take that idea and move on to the, to, in, in our passage to the next set of verses. Look at verses 33 and 34. We're reminded in those verses that the words of Jesus are the words of God. So we first heard that the words of Jesus are above all other words. Number two, the words of Jesus are the words of God. Those closing words in verse 32 say that no one receives his testimony. They remi that reminds us of chapter 1. Verse 11, which says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now, that's not stating an absolute. If it was stating an absolute, John wouldn't be writing his gospel. <laughs> we know that's a general, in general observation that most did not accept Jesus. Especially the Jewish people, most did not accept Jesus. But there were obviously some who had rec who received Jesus and his testimony. And that's where John goes in verses 33 and 34. Look at what he tells us in these verses. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. So when someone does embrace the fact that the words of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus is above every other source of information, every other source of lights, he or she sets his seal. That is like you would take an old seal and put it into like a wax thing, right? And you would authenticate that this is from you, that you've approved of this. You've authenticated to it personally. Right? That person approves wholeheartedly that God is true when they receive the testimony of Jesus. What does that mean that God is true, though? It means a right recognition of Jesus is a right recognition of God. When you rightly hear and see Jesus, you rightly hear and see God. Why is that the case? Well, in this passage, it's because the testimony of Jesus is composed of, verse 34, the words of God himself. Jesus did not come to offer a, a brand new religion to the Jewish people and say, well, give up on all that. Come on this new path. He said, no, I've come to fulfill all of that. This is that path and this is where God's path is going. He was not offering an alternative God. He was offering new life in the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and David. Jesus was declaring the words of God himself. So when Jesus spoke, he spoke as a man to whom God had given, as we see in verse 34, the spirit without measure. 
It says, for he, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives, implied as to him, the spirit without measure. This Holy Spirit, at every other juncture in Scripture, every other place in Scripture, the Spirit's always given with measure. In the Old Testament, it was given just for a time. Certain events, certain needs could be met. For us, the Spirit is given in, in more abundantly, but we don't have the Spirit without measure. Only Jesus Christ, only Christ, is the, is the, he's the only human being who ever had God's Spirit without measure. Why are the words of Jesus above every other source? Because they are the words of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Have you embraced them as such? Do you do so on a daily basis? Many of us listening to this and sitting here today, you have no problem with anything that I'm saying. You're hearing this and saying, I agree. You're exactly right, Pastor Bryce. These words of Jesus are the words of God. They are above every other word. And yet you know, as well as I know, that we struggle to allow those words to be the words above all in our life, in our daily life. We put it in a box, our religion, our spirituality in a box. We set it here, then we keep opening boxes and moving through other boxes and say, well, I've got all this arranged perfectly right here. It's all good. I feel content. I've got good doctrine. I'm attending church. I'm doing all of these things. And yet we move on and start going into other boxes. Rather than one big box with Jesus Christ over it all. And that whenever that box is open, guess what? He is above everything in that box. And his light shines on everything in that box. And influences everything that's there. Therefore the question becomes, how do, why are we struggling each day with all these other sources, struggling to allow him to be our most trusted source. We confess it with our mouth. But do we really believe it with our hearts? Do we really live as if we believe it to be true? It is critical that we do so. Why? Because number three, the words of Jesus are the words of life. The words of Jesus are the words of life. The words of Jesus are above all of the words. The words of Jesus are the words of God. And number three, the words of Jesus are the words of life. Look at the two last verses in this chapter. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God shall come on him? No, remains on him. You see, we're born as sinners into this world. We're born children of wrath, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It's our nature, rebels against God. No one is born loving God, we're born as God-haters. So the wrath of God abides on us without intervention. Not only has the Father given Jesus the Spirit in fullest measure, as we heard in verse 34, but here he's also given all things into his hands. 
Think about Jesus, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. All authority on heaven, on earth and in heaven has been given to me, said Jesus. Why could he say that after his resurrection? Because he had become the messianic king. He had become the fulfillment of the prophecy to David. All authority was given to the king, the human king, the son of David, Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth was his. John says it here in verse 35. The son, the father loves the son. It's given all things into his hands. Therefore, we read that and say, could there be a fuller, more authoritative source to be my guiding light, my controlling influence than Jesus? We listen to certain people talk. We see certain sources. We read certain things and think, this sounds authoritative. This person's certainly talking like they're authoritative. Oh, this has got the backing of such and such and such and such. None of that compares to the authority of Jesus. All things have been given to him. Everything is underneath him. You better believe you can have confidence when you trust him. Because all things have been given into his hands. And that includes everything in your life. Every foe you face. Every difficulty you experience. Every question mark about your personal timeline. What's coming up in the future. All of it is under him. All of it is given to him. And as we've talked about before in this series. And as we see here in verse 36. All of this really, really, really matters because our perspective on and our posture towards Jesus really is a matter of life and death. It really is. And I'm talking in eternal terms. One's eternal destiny. Do we believe his testimony? Have we submitted in obedience to Christ? John could talk about belief and obedience in the same breath. You see that? They're almost interchangeable there in verse 36. Whoever believes, whoever does not obey. Because for John, belief leads to obedience. Belief is about submission. Inwardly, that results in submission outwardly. How could it not? That's the nature of faith. Do we believe his testimony? Have we submitted in obedience to Christ? If we have, brothers and sisters, Friends, let's receive his testimony every single day. Wake up, wake up and ask God to help you receive the testimony of Jesus. To receive him bearing witness to you that day. As I asked at the outset this morning, who or what is your most trusted source? Think carefully, be honest with yourself. Look at your schedule each day. Think about the influences, what's coming in, right? Think about what is my most trusted source? Where do I turn in, in this area? Who do I turn to in that area? What sources or sources, what source or sources are shaping you? Some of John's original readers still seem to revere John the Baptist beyond the boundaries of what was true and proper. That seems to be clear from chapter one and chapter three. Others of John's readers may have been influenced by certain Jewish teachers. Or pagan philosophers. Whatever the specifics were, John wanted them and God wants us to understand that the testimony of Jesus should always have the highest place. Should always be your most trusted source of information, of truth. And that's not just in a one-time, get saved and go to heaven kind of way. 
That's an everyday, I can't walk without your light, God. If you believe that to be true, how might you prove it in your daily life? I challenge you, prove it. If you believe it, prove it. You don't have to prove it to me. Prove it to yourself. Prove that you believe it. As you may know, both quantity and quality are extremely important when it comes to the word of God in your life. Some Christians seem to think that they can watch 20 hours of streaming and spend 20 minutes a week total in God's word and they will become somehow more like Jesus. That's not going to happen. I don't say that of my own accord or my own abilities or experience. Yes, my experience accords with the word of God, which tells us the word is a means of grace that he gives to each one of us. He wants to shape you by that word. Now, there are other things. The Holy Spirit at work through the word, through brothers and sisters in fellowship, right? Through many experiences, trials and tribulations, many things shape us. But at the center of it, providing us with understanding in the midst of it all, is the word of God. Will you more and more choose Nehemiah over Netflix or the news? Will you choose Psalms over social media? But along with that, will you do more than just read the Bible? Will you listen to the word? Will you meditate on the word? Will you wrestle with the word? Oh, I don't like this, Lord. I don't like what I'm reading here. This scares me. This upsets me. This convicts me. Will you bring your hardest questions to the word? And not let go until you have an answer. Will you strain to hear the voice of God as he speaks to you through scripture? It's one thing to know the word. And that's important. Right? To get the database loaded up with the word. That's a good thing. Memorize scripture. Absolutely. But it is quite another thing to allow that to seep into every crack and crevice of your heart and your life. Do you want that for your life? If the words of Jesus are above all, this is what God is calling us to, this lifestyle of the word being above all. So the look and the direction of your life are shaped by who or what you listen to, who or what you trust. If you truly trust God through Jesus above all, then listen to God through Jesus above all. Jesus Christ, we know, came into the world to suffer and die for us that we might trust him for eternal life. Right? He, he's already proven to us that we can trust him. Listen to his words. See what he did. He rose again from the dead that we might trust him and listen to him each and every day. There's no question about his trustworthiness. 
He's already established that. So my encouragement to you is to take a few minutes now and talk with God. Talk with him this morning about doing this very thing, about moving forward in these ways, of really living that out, that the words of Christ are above all in your life. That gospel, that good news, and all that scripture reveals is our guiding light, is the controlling influence in our lives. And that we regulate all their sources by that source, don't we? We keep everything else in check because we have this source. We're listening to God. We're meditating. We're wrestling. We're straining to hear his voice. If you want that, talk to him now about that very thing. Confess to him the ways that you struggle in this regard. And let's expect God to do wonderful things as he answers our prayers. Let's pray together. Would you pray?